I'm Chef Pete Gagan from Cargill, and we're in the kitchen with Sterling Silver Premium Meats. It's a podcast where we'll be serving up insights and perspectives for chefs and food service professionals. And of course, we'll be digging into the world of premium beef. Because even with over 30 years of culinary experience, I still have an appetite for learning more. I hope you're hungry too. This is part one of a two-part episode. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss part two. Just follow the directions at the end to get every episode. We're coming to you from the Cargill Innovation Center in Wichita, Kansas. And today on the podcast, Chef Eric LeTurk is joining us all the way from Hawaii to talk about dedication to quality, touching on experiences that shaped his philosophies, mentorship, and bringing it to life in the kitchen and beyond. To give you a little background, Chef Eric is the executive chef at the Pacific Club in Honolulu. And he brings 42 years of culinary experience to the kitchen in a career that's taken him from France to the Mediterranean to the South Pacific at world-class resorts and world-renowned restaurants. He's a member of our Sterling Silver Signature Chef Program, a select group of chefs we partner with to ensure our products continue to exceed expectations. Welcome to the kitchen, chef. Hello and welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad you can join us today. I'm glad to. So what I'd love to talk about here is your culinary career and how those experiences have shaped your views on quality. Let's start out by taking us back to the beginning. Tell us what drew you into cooking in the first place. Well, I was uh, eight years old when I got inspired somehow. I was uh, put in the arm of a chef in in the kitchen. I remember Mm -hmm. I was mixing the soup. As I grew up, I just always cooked cake for my sisters and do stuff at the house. At 16 years old, I enrolled for an apprenticeship. And two years after, I got my certification. And after, I went on to work on the resorts, seasonal first, and uh, farther and farther from my parents' house and traveling. So um, it's been a great ride. Oh, I'm sure it has. Yeah, I mean, it is a ride, no doubt. So yeah. let's go back into an apprenticeship, right? So not everybody goes through that process. In France and some other countries, that's a, a major way of how people get trained, right? Yes. So you apply for this apprenticeship and you go to work at this, I think it was at a hotel, right? What was that like? Like if you can remember day one or, you know, the first year versus the second year, what, tell us a little bit about that. When you start the apprenticeship, you have to find a restaurant or hotel who are willing to take you and you sign a contract for two years. You go to school uh, one week a month and the rest of the time you work in the restaurant. And uh, I was lucky to have a very, very good chef and a very good place. Well, that makes a big difference, right? <laughs> I mean, if, yes. If you didn't have a, a good mentor slash chef there, then that would probably, you'd be doing something different today. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And so you basically learn all the different positions in the kitchen, right? Yeah, that's, that's why the key to find the right place because you find some restaurant hotels that take apprentices because the cost of labor and uh, they end up doing all the, the dirty work at the time in the kitchen. I was mm-hmm. very lucky to have a chef who had a system from 1962, actually. He had a rotation of, of apprentices. So the first year apprentice mm-hmm. used to come to uh, in the kitchen, take care of the ice cream, the butchering, the charcuterie. We used to do so much great stuff. And when the second year of apprentice was at his certification, he, he had to leave. And the first year apprentice was taking his position. So it was a rotation continuously going on in the kitchen. And uh the teaching was very good. 
like you mentioned, I mean, there are those out there that go in and, and they end up just being cheap labor for somebody, right? That's not a great way to take someone young, inspiring, and to teach them and mold them into understanding and, and knowing how to work. You know, we, we can all go to school as much as we want, but until we actually get that real hands-on experience and make things over and over and over again, yeah. we're never going to be good at it. I mean, you know, after a couple of weeks of peeling potatoes, do you really need to spend any more time peeling potatoes and to get great at it? I mean, yes, in a sense, you're never perfect at it, but that's a waste of somebody's learning if that's all they do. Yeah. Now, let, let me just ask you real quick, you grew up where in France? So I was born and raised in a town called Annecy, A-N-N-E-C-Y. It's on the border of uh, Switzerland, Chamonix, Lyon. I did an apprenticeship in a small village close by there. Oh, okay. So it was basically in the Alps? Is that in the Alps, yeah. Considered in the Alps. The Alps. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you mm-hmm. weren't that far from home, but then over time you start to get a little further, like you mentioned earlier. Yeah. <laughs> when during that time... Did you start to see and understand what quality means in a kitchen? Like, whether it's the ingredients or the product that you're putting out, the the plates. I mean, when did you start to realize, oh, it's so important to have quality? Hmm, interesting. Maybe later in life, but as a kid, I always remember my grandma going to the garden and pick up the potatoes and the tomatoes and the we used to eat from the garden. We take the tomatoes, wash it up with uh, water, and eat it like this. And uh, the memories, the taste memories, like so good. And uh, and maybe unconsciously you pick up all these things. And after when you start to work in the kitchen, and uh, yeah, you have to have good quality products to do good food. If you use um, a tomatoes or carrots, who are not tasty or not great, not you're not gonna get the same results. That is so true. Like you said subconsciously you're maybe it wasn't like you thought about it all the time as quality but unless you strayed away from it and i'm going to guess if you worked at some of these restaurants they were getting in good quality stuff maybe you've not experienced a place where quality was lacking so much especially back then in your year in your career it was it was something that was just around you at all times, you know, mm-hmm. especially I think back in what I would consider in Europe, you know, that's the, there wasn't these massive grocery stores and places like we have in the States here that you could go and, and shop for everything or uh, a distributor dropping all this. You, you know, you got your stuff from this farmer, you got your stuff from that. So I'm guessing quality was always around you. And it's the same thing to this day. When you go to France in the market, everything is fresh from the producer directly to the customer. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it makes a big difference. Going back to the questions, like I think when you unconsciously, when you kids, you develop your palate. So when you eat in the fast food every day, if your kids eat the fast food in the day, will know only one thing. So I think it's very important for kids to eat quality products and different products to know the difference. And I would never work with bad quality products. That part of me. Sure. Once you have something that is ripe and perfect and. And, you know, it was grown and picked at the right time. And, and it was grown in the right area, too, right? I mean, it's why would you want it any different? You know, we're probably talking produce in many ways more than anything. But it's still all ingredients, right? There, there, yeah. There is a better, you know, this type of grain or that type of grain. And it all depends upon where it's coming from. But they all have different flavors and attributes. And, you know, what one person thinks is is quality 
might be a little different to the next, but reality is it's a fresh product that's barely been processed at all, you know? Yeah. Um, quality beef too, right? You know, what what is it about beef that is so important and, and what would you consider quality beef? Well, first, uh, the, the flavor, the tenderness, consistency, you know? Mostly like when you cook a, like a nice piece of ribeye and it's nice and crispy and uh, when you slice your knife to it and... Yeah, it's just, and you take a bite, the first bite is, uh, is tender and it's good quality. So you see that one now, right away. It's mouthwatering, right? Exactly. <laughs> quality can be different in, in how you look at it. You know, you can have a fresh piece of, piece of beef, but if it's, say, select, then it doesn't have all those attributes and, and that little fattiness and that moisture level is not the same. It, it just doesn't do the wow factor when you bite into it the same way. And there's, there's a lot more to it also, you know, the whole aging aspect and all that too. Prior to, you know, going into a box and getting shipped to a restaurant, that's that quality that I know you look for. Mm-hmm. So let's get back to your career a little bit. So you finished your your apprenticeship and you stayed in the Alps for a little bit, right? So you moved to a couple different hotels and restaurants there. And what was that like? You know, when you're young, it was a great experience. Uh I work in a ski resort, I work in a, in a lakes resort, and always mm-hmm. I had the chance to start in a, in a Raleigh Chateau, like a five-star hotel, and uh, from the beginning. So I think it makes a difference too in your career to start in a higher level quality hotel or restaurant. Because if you start and you go to a, a pizzeria and it's not going to be uh, it's what this this business is so open to different level of cooking, but yeah, I started to work in a in a resort, and I, I, I know a chef who knows a chef, and he, I get another job to another place, and I, as I'm when I move on to different position in the kitchen, it takes times, it takes some work, mm-hmm. and uh, move to different uh, resort and different place. Yeah, so, and I was able to travel with that. Traveling's always good too, right? Different, you'll touch different foods. You work for different chefs. You work with different cooks out there. So it's all different ways to learn and experience because that's how we grow, right? Through experience. Did you notice from one place to the next any differences in in quality? You know, I mean, you went. You, you said you went to a five star basically resort, so I'm sure everything was top notch, right? Yeah. When I was young, the, the greatest part, you move a lot every two years, pretty much. Because uh, mm-hmm. if you stay in the same position in the same hotel for a long period of time, you you become like a stagnant. You learn by two certain points. Then if you, every two years, I was moving to different places, different resorts. So you, you work with different techniques, different food from different regions, different style of cooking. So I was, uh, without knowing, I was learning all these things. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, no doubt. Many years ago, would you say that's true today too for for the younger aspiring chefs that, you know, two years, you know, three years maybe, you know, or, or stay somewhere longer? What's your thoughts on that? Uh, I would say some of the guys stay, move some, but I think sadly the, the food industry is changing dramatically and... Uh, um, but maybe it's different maybe in the U.S. to in France. Uh, in France, when you're a butcher, you're a butcher for life. You're a chef, you're mm-hmm. a chef for life. You don't change your career 
And uh, so to this day, I think it changed. People are not are moving a lot on different positions, different business. And um, it's kind of sad, but it's what is what it is. So after the Alps, you moved down to the Mediterranean and you worked at some, I'm guessing, like resorts and hotels right on right on that beautiful body of water. What was that like? You know, I'm sure you were in your mid-20s at the time and or the foods were different a little bit. You know, you're getting different products in uh, straight from the sea and, and just, what, what was that experience? If you had to like look at both of those, I'm sure they were both amazing, but I'm sure the culture is maybe a little different in, in one place versus the other. So tell us about that. It's very interesting because I work in a three hotel in a, in the south, I mean four, and uh, they all have this different style and different thing of a uh, different cuisine. Uh, mm-hmm. But they use mostly like a Mediterranean diet in a way, a lot of olive oil, garlic, a lot of uh, simple uh, way of cooking using the flavor of their ingredients. Working in the south of France was a that was a it was a great part of my life. Yeah, uh, this hotel were famous. I think for me, one of the best hotels I ever worked was Hotel du Cap in Antibes, uh, where all the stars and, uh, and uh, famous and millionaires stay all the time. At the time when I was working, it was no no credit cards and no check. Everything was cash or money transfer. But the food was uh, precise. You have to be. We have to be. Uh, every time, you have to be the same. It's, it's a, it was very demanding in a way, but that was what it was. Thinking about that, it was a pretty big place. Uh, mm-hmm. I actually looked online at it the other day, and I was like, wow, that, that was gorgeous. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to go there tomorrow. Um, oh. But h- how big of, you know, I think about taking a step back and working in the kitchen, and you, you always hear the French brigade system, right? So yeah. that's what we were taught, and that ultimately at the end of the day, it was the French that put that system together of having, you know, your your hierarchy slash and, and or, you know, you have your tournant who touches every station and helps out. And then and you've got your, your um, I don't remember all the French terms perfectly, but you got your grill guy, you got your, your cold station and all that. How many people in a, in a resort or a big restaurant like that were working in the kitchen? Aaron so the biggest one I worked... Uh, was at uh, Le Royal Club in Evian. In the summertime, we, we were 53 in the kitchen at once. And I was a chef associate. It was like an old traditional kitchen. Uh, I was chef associate to start up, and after I went to the grill station. At the time, it was very strict. I was having, as a chef associate, I have like three commis with me. And we were doing three undercovers for lunch or something like this. It was very uh, old traditional school. The chef, the chef had mm-hmm. a, a, a mic in the kitchen and calling all the order. We, have, we never have any printers or any. Uh, you have to memorize all the order at the time. It was a, it was an experience. We don't see that anymore. No, yeah. I mean some of your bigger hotels have a lot of people working in them, of course, right? Yeah, but you know what is very interesting for me. I always compare like if you if you sign up for. Uh, for the, the, the Marines and you want to be a, a Navy SEAL, they're going to take you to some drills to see if you could make it. In Europe at the time, it was kind of when you work in a high-end restaurant, you're going through that. At the beginning, they're just going to pound you until to make sure you, make, you do your work the right way and everything. And, uh, so art school, but at the end, you pay off. 
Well, yeah, I mean, that's how you, you basically went in there and, and worked your butt off to make a name for yourself, right? If you didn't do it, then someone else is going to come in and take your spot, and they're not going to keep you around. Right? So you had to prove your worth. Um, and once you have that on your resume, you're golden to move on to somewhere else, right? Some kitchen was a lot of competition and kind of nasty time to time, you know. Uh, oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, it was very interesting. When I was in the wild club in Avion, we have so much equipment, so I had to lock up all my, my pots and my my ladle, everything. I, I, they were locked in my oven. I had a chain to lock the, the equipment to make sure the day after when I come back, it was there. It was... <laughs> <laughs> I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna guess that probably that doesn't happen that much anymore. Maybe your personal knives, but locking up everything yeah. else, I, I yeah. No, but it was definitely like I said it was competitive, <laughs> no doubt about that. Very competitive yeah. in the kitchen. Um, you know, I think we've all got a a different mindset nowadays to you know work together as opposed to work against each other type uh, yeah. thing. Yeah. You know, but that's that's crazy. I'm sure there's plenty of stories that we can talk about that. Those of oh, us yes. that have been around for a long time can relate to, um, and definitely laugh about and go, "Wow, I can't, I can't believe it used to be that way." <laughs> but yeah. hey, this world, this world is ever changing, and and we learn and we grow and we and and again, we we change. So it's wonderful to see that. So you did the Mediterranean, and you probably got a taste of that beautiful water, and and just just going, "Wow." This is nice. I mean, we're really not getting cold anymore. And then all of a sudden, you decide to move to Hawaii. So you leave Europe behind and you move to Hawaii. What what brought you there? Before that, I had a smaller experience uh, having uh, working in the French Caribbean in, uh, in Saint Bart. Oh, okay. It was my first big uh, trip outside of France, and. Uh, mm-hmm. I was there for about nine months, and I, I was working with this in this small resort. And uh, my boss used to come from New York and different places. And uh, after so many months, I figured that my boss was Jimmy Buffett. So uh-huh. and it, it was it was a great experience for me. Like I was young, I was twenty three, but that was my first uh-huh. experience traveling outside of France. And um, how do I land it in Hawaii? I was working with a chef uh, in Lyon. He told me, you know, Eric, I have a contract for you. Would it be interesting to come to Hawaii? I said, of course. So in 1990, I came to Hawaii to open a, a resort called Koolina. And it was a great experience for me. It was a, it was a big eyes opening of a, uh, at the time uh, when you work in a kitchen in France, French cooking is the best, French cooking is the best. But when I arrived to Hawaii, with a multicultural, a different type of food, I realized actually the Thai, the Vietnamese, the, the Chinese, there was a different style of cooking and it's very, very good. When you put it together, it's like, wow. So I really opened my my mind and uh, the experience it was amazing. Yeah, I mean, so you're, you're working with, like you said, different cultures, multicultural, different ingredients, but at the same time, probably the same, the base idea of, of a tomato or this type of fruit or something. There's there's similars but different products in one part of the world versus the other. Um, but you have that quality background, though, of cooking, right? So baking and braising and, and all that. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, that's what you're still doing, whether you're grilling something or, you know, 
that quality experience that you had and and just from your apprenticeship up until where you're at probably made it pretty easy to to just change that job cuz it changed and yes there, there's a there's something different you're not in France anymore right you know uh but you, you had to say to yourself I can do this this is easy you know it's just a different ingredient so this is very interesting because when you said that because uh I worked with uh, some chef at, in France. They were saying, like, old-school chef. And they say, you know, if you know your basic of cooking, you could cook all over the world. You know, you, you, it's mm-hmm. no problem. And it's very interesting because that's true. If you know, you understand the chemistry, the flavor, the taste, you could be uh, in Africa or whatever. You pick up an ingredient and cook it. And after, yeah, you apply your quality, you find quality products and you, you play with it, play with the flavor, so... Small, small little nuances you might have to change up a little bit, but the yeah. the base idea of of roasting, you know, some poultry or something like that is going to be the same. Yeah, uh, you just might might learn. Hey, this this likes it a little bit lower temp and a little longer. This, you know, and those those little things you adjust to. Yeah. So that's like twenty years ago. Base. Well, actually, no, it's longer than that's that. Thirty. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say thirty years ago. You yeah. went to Hawaii, and you never went. I mean, you go back to visit, right? That's great. Yeah. Um, but but then the last 20 years, you've been at your current job, executive chef at the Pacific Club. Yeah. I would love to hear what that is like from day one to pretty much where you're at today. I'd love to talk about that. And, you know, and let's talk about some quality there, too. And it could be from the servers to... Uh, the menu to the foods, of course, and just expectations that, because it's a private club, that mm-hmm. the members have of quality from you. Yeah. So how do I end up in a Pacific club? I was working in a hotel in Waikiki, and a mm-hmm. general manager and one of the members who was part of the board walked in my office and they said, uh, we need you to work for us because we need to... Uh, uh, fix up the, the culinary part of the club. So the Pacific Club is a is an oldest private business club, uh, business club West Coast uh, to Mississippi. We opened in 1851. So when I came on board, they were losing members because it's, it's no, like other club in Hawaii, there's no golf course, no, no other activities. Mm-hmm. So we're basically food and beverage base. And they were losing members because the food was terrible. Uh, sure. I, rem- I remember my first night walking in the kitchen and uh, looking at the guy, I said, uh, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm cooking the rack of lamb. And he's putting the rack of lamb in a deep fryer. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, really? Uh-huh. So <laughs> knowing with my experience, doing what I was already before, I reorganized all the kitchen, uh, bring some fresh new ingredients, change uh, menus. And I, I would say that the beginning was a little bit a riot because the old timers were like, they don't want to change. So no, of course not. I had to do some, uh, okay, here it is. So I used to make like a five or six different Caesar salad dressing and said, okay, which one do you want? And none of them could agree between themselves. And at the end, we come up with one and to this day, never change. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was challenging, but as we went, the membership and the numbers started to go up. 1851. Wow. 
Yeah. So that's been around for a long time. You know, mm -hmm. I'm going to guess at some point it was probably had quality and, and then it, it just decided to wane. And, you know, when this happens, unfortunately, people get, get stuck. Um, maybe management hasn't changed. No one's changed. And after a while, when you're stuck in a place, you only know what you know from working there. Right. And that's where back to what you talked about moving around every few years and so forth is so important, especially earlier on in your career, because you can pull from so much to create the new you. Right. This is my style. And you bring stuff to the table that no one that's been stuck in that kitchen for the last 20 years even knows exists because they're working seven days a week, six days a week, and they're not really getting experience what what the members are experiencing in other places. It's very interesting because when I started the club, I never got any direction. Club is kind of funny because you have comedies, you have uh, uh, the way they work. And, and um, when I started the club, I, I never have any direction. Chef, we want to do a Chinese year. I, I did everything on my own, developing the menus mm -hmm. and the, the style of food. I, I, I analyze the type of membership that you have, what we have to work with, uh, all my providers, and uh, and I develop the, the menus and uh, the recipes and uh, the staff too. So yeah. that was, you know, what you did when you started. And I'm going to guess that you don't have the same menu that you did 20 years ago because no. people's tastes change. And, and again, you, you need to, you know, change it up or people are going to start going somewhere else. Oh, um, yeah. But I bet you there's something that, is almost as old as you are in that role on the menu. There's probably something that you brought earlier on that maybe it's made some changes, but the people there go, oh, no, 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 you can't get rid of that. Is there anything like that on your menu? Yeah, we have a couple of ingredients. Uh, everywhere I worked in Hawaii, I've been doing this lobster bisque. Uh, we, okay. have a, a, we have a style of fish we're cooking. And, um, this couple of ingredients that never changed to a because the consistency with the membership, they like it, everything okay. Um, we have a couple of, uh, the tradition, every Friday at the club, we do a, a cornbread. That's a tradition who's been there before mm -hmm. I came on board, so we keep that. And I'm sure the quality of your lobster bisque is <laughs> top-notch. And everybody, no matter where they go and eat in the world, they probably think in their minds, this, this isn't like Eric's. <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah, no, that's, that's some common legs this year, but that's, that's pretty cool. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. This is great, Chef. You've got so many interesting experiences and thoughts on quality. I want to hit pause right here and pick up the conversation in part two. When we come back, we'll continue talking quality and offer some ways chefs and food service professionals can dial in on quality in their operations. Listeners, you'll want to subscribe so you don't miss out when part two of this episode is available. To get the next episode delivered to your inbox, subscribe on our website, sterlingsilvermeats.com. Just sign up for our e-newsletter at the top of the page. You can also subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms. And be sure to follow at Sterling Silver Premium Meats on Instagram. Until next time, we'll see you in the kitchen with Sterling Silver Premium Meats.